Section 12 of Jataka Tales by H. T. Francis and E. J. Thomas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Lucky Sneeze Once on a time when Brahmadatta was reigning in Banaras, he had in his service a Brahmin who professed to tell whether swords were lucky or not, and all came to pass as in the introductory story. And the king called in the surgeons and had him fitted with a false tip to his nose, which was cunningly painted for all the world like a real nose and then the Brahmin resumed his duties again about the king. Now Brahmadatta had no son, only a daughter and a nephew, whom he had brought up under his own eye. And when these two grew up, they fell in love with one another. So the king sent for his counsellors and said to them, My nephew is heir to the throne. If I give him my daughter to wife, he shall be anointed king. But on second thoughts, he decided that, as in any case, his nephew was like a son, he had better marry him to a foreign princess, and give his daughter to a prince of another royal house. For, he thought, this plan would give him more grandchildren, and vest in his line the scepters of two several kingdoms. And after consulting with his counsellors, he resolved to separate the two, and they were accordingly made to dwell apart from one another. Now they were sixteen years old, and very much in love, and the young prince thought of nothing but how to carry off his cousin from her father's palace. At last the plan struck him of sending for a wise woman, to whom he gave a pocketful of money. "'And what am I to do for this?' said she. "'There is nothing you can't do. Tell me how you can get my uncle to let his daughter out of the palace.' and she promised to help him, and said that she would tell the king that his daughter was under the influence of witchcraft, but that, as the demon had possessed her so long that he was off his guard, she would take the princess one day in a carriage to the cemetery with a strong escort under arms, and there, in a magic circle, lay the princess on a bed with a dead man under it, and with a hundred and eight douches of scented water wash the demon out of her. "'And when on this pretext I bring the princess to the cemetery,' continued the wise woman, "'mind that you just reach the cemetery before us in your carriage with an armed escort, taking some ground pepper with you. Arrived at the cemetery, you will leave your carriage at the entrance and dispatch your men to the cemetery grove, while you yourself go to the top of the mound and lie down as though dead.' Then I will come and set up a bed over you on which I will lay the princess. Then will come the time when you must sniff at the pepper till you sneeze two or three times, and when you sneeze, we will leave the princess and take to our heels. Thereon you and the princess must bathe all over, and you must take her home with you. Capital, said the prince, a most excellent device. So away went the wise woman to the king, and he fell in with her idea, as did the princess when it was explained to her. When the day came, the old woman told the princess their errand, and said to the guards on the road in order to frighten them, "'Listen, under the bed that I shall set up there will be a dead man, and that dead man will sneeze, and mark well that so soon as he has sneezed he will come out from under the bed and seize on the first person he finds. So be prepared, all of you.' Now the prince had already got to the place and got under the bed as had been arranged. Next the crone led off the princess and laid her upon the bed, whispering to her not to be afraid. 
at once the prince sniffed at the pepper and fell a-sneezing and scarce had he begun to sneeze before the wise woman left the princess and with a loud scream was off quicker than any of them not a man stood his ground one and all they threw away their arms and bolted for dear life hereon the prince came forth and bore off the princess to his home as had been before arranged and the old woman made her way to the king and told him what had happened well thought the king i always intended her for him and they've grown up together like ghee and rice porridge so he didn't fly into a passion but in course of time met his nephew king of the land with his daughter as queen consort now the new king kept on in his service the brahmin who professed to tell the temper of swords and one day as he stood in the sun the false tip of the brahmin's nose got loose and fell off and there he stood hanging his head for very shame never mind never mind laughed the king sneezing is good for some but bad for others one sneeze lost you your nose whilst i have to thank a sneeze for both my throne and queen so saying he uttered this stanza our diverse fates this moral show what brings one wheel may work another woe so spake the king and after a life spent in charity and other good works he passed away to fare according to his deserts the hypocritical jackal once on a time when brahmadatta was reigning in benares the bodhisatta was born a rat perfect in wisdom and as big as a young boar he had his dwelling in the forest and many hundreds of other rats owned his sway now there was a roving jackal who espied this troop of rats and fell to scheming how to beguile and eat them and he took up his stand near their home with his face to the sun snuffing up the wind and standing on one leg seeing this when out on his road in quest of food the bodhisatta conceived the jackal to be a saintly being and went up and asked his name godly is my name said the jackal why do you stand on only one leg because if i stood on all four at once the earth would not bear my weight that is why i stand on one leg only why do you keep your mouth open to take the air i live on air it is my only food and why do you face the sun to worship him what uprightness thought the bodhisatta and thenceforward he made a point of going attended by the other rats to pay his respects morning and evening to the saintly jackal and when the rats were leaving the jackal seized and devoured the hindermost one of them wiped his lips and looked as though nothing had happened in consequence of this the rats grew fewer and fewer till they noticed the gaps in their ranks and wondering why this was so asked the bodhisatta the reason he could not make it out but suspecting the jackal resolved to put him to the test so next day he let the other rats go out first and himself brought up the rear the jackal made a spring on the bodhisatta who seeing him coming faced round and cried so this is your saintliness you hypocrite and rascal and he repeated the following stanza where saintliness is but a cloak whereby to cousin guileless folk and screen a villain's treachery the cat-like nature there we see so saying the king of the rats sprang at the jackal's throat and bit his windpipe asunder just under the jaw so that he died 
Back trooped the other rats and gobbled up the body of the jackal with a crunch, crunch, crunch. That is to say, the foremost of them did, for they say there was none left for the last comers. And ever after the rats lived happily in peace and quiet. THE GOLDEN GOOSE once upon a time, when Brahmadatta was reigning in Benares, the Bodhisatta was born a Brahmin, and growing up was married to a bride of his own rank, who bore him three daughters named Nanda, Nandavati, and Sundari Nanda. The Bodhisatta dying, they were taken in by neighbors and friends, whilst he was born again into the world as a golden goose, endowed with consciousness of its former existences. Growing up, the bird viewed his own magnificent size and golden plumage, and remembered that previously he had been a human being. Discovering that his wife and daughters were living on the charity of others, the goose bethought him of his plumage like hammered and beaten gold, and how by giving them a golden feather at a time he could enable his wife and daughters to live in comfort. So away he flew to where they dwelt, and alighted on the top of the central beam of the roof. Seeing the Bodhisatta, the wife and girls asked where he had come from, and he told them that he was their father who had died and been born a golden goose, and that he had come to visit them and put an end to their miserable necessity of working for hire. "'You shall have my feathers,' said he, "'one by one, and they will sell for enough to keep you all in ease and comfort.' So saying, he gave them one of his feathers and departed." and from time to time he returned to give them another feather, and with the proceeds of their sale these Brahmin women grew prosperous and quite well-to-do. But one day the mother said to her daughters, "'There's no trusting animals, my children. Who's to say your father might not go away one of these days and never come back again? Let us use our time and pluck him clean next time he comes, so as to make sure of all his feathers.' Thinking this would pain him, the daughters refused. The mother, in her greed, called the golden goose to her one day when he came, and then took him with both hands and plucked him. Now the Bodhisattva's feathers had this property, that if they were plucked out against his wish, they ceased to be golden and became like a crane's feathers. And now the poor bird, though he stretched his wings, could not fly and the woman flung him into a barrel and gave him food there. As time went on, his feathers grew again, though they were plain white ones now, and he flew away to his own abode and never came back again. THE GRATEFUL MOUSE Once on a time, when Brahmadatta was reigning in Benares, the Bodhisatta was born a stone-cutter, and growing up became expert in working stones. Now in the Kasi country there dwelt a very rich merchant who had amassed forty crores in gold, and when his wife died, so strong was her love of money that she was reborn a mouse and dwelt over the treasure. And one by one the whole family died, including the merchant himself. Likewise the village became deserted and forlorn. At the time of our story the Bodhisatta was quarrying and shaping stones on the site of this deserted village and the mouse used often to see him as she ran about to find food. At last she fell in love with him, and bethinking her how the secret of all her vast wealth would die with her, she conceived the idea of enjoying it with him. So one day she came to the Bodhisatta with a coin in her mouth. Seeing this, he spoke to her kindly and said, "'Mother, 
what has brought you here with this coin it is for you to lay out yourself and to buy meat with for me as well my son nowise loth he took the money and spent a halfpenny of it on meat which he brought to the mouse who departed and ate her heart's content and this went on the mouse giving the bodhisattva a coin every day and he in return supplying her with meat but it fell out one day that the mouse was caught by a cat don't kill me said the mouse why not said the cat i am as hungry as can be and really must kill you to allay the pangs first tell me whether you're always hungry or only hungry to-day oh every day finds me hungry again well then if this be so i will find you always in meat only let me go mind you do then said the cat and let the mouse go as a consequence of this the mouse had to divide the supplies of meat she got from the bodhisattva into two portions and gave one half to the cat keeping the other for herself now as luck would have it the same mouse was caught another day by a second cat and had to purchase her release on the same terms so now the daily food was divided into three portions and when a third cat caught the mouse and a like arrangement had to be made the supply was divided into four portions and later a fourth cat caught her and the food had to be divided among five so that the mouse reduced to such short commons grew so thin as to be nothing but skin and bone remarking how emaciated his friend was getting the bodhisattva asked the reason then the mouse told him all that had befallen her why didn't you tell me all this before said the bodhisattva i'll help you out of your troubles so he took a block of the purest crystal and scooped out a cavity in it and made the mouse get inside now stop there said he and don't fail to fiercely threaten and revile all who come near so the mouse crept into the crystal cell and waited up came one of the cats and demanded his meat away vile grimalkin said the mouse why should i supply you go home and eat your kittens infuriated at these words and never suspecting the mouse to be inside the crystal the cat sprang at the mouse to eat her up and so furious was its spring that it broke the walls of its chest and its eyes started from its head so that cat died and its carcass tumbled down out of sight and the like fate in turn befell all four cats and ever after the grateful mouse brought the bodhisattva two or three coins instead of one as before and by degrees she thus gave him the whole of the hoard in unbroken friendship the two lived together till their lives ended and they passed away to fare according to their deserts End of section 12